This is Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Today, we have two brand new songs written by Vincent Muhammad and Justin Cutway. But first, the story that inspires the songs by Lauren Morrill, an author who writes a specific kind of story for a very specific audience. I am the author of five YA romantic comedies. I really like the idea of all of these firsts that characters experience. Um, A lot of those firsts are so universal. The first kiss or your first date or the first time you realize your parents don't know everything. Um, Everyone can relate to that. (laughs) My books, you know, young adult romantic comedies, they tend to get described as fluffy a lot. And I have decided that I don't take offense to that because I write to entertain people. I write for people to enjoy reading. To me, that's what reading is for. It's not take your medicine. It's not a morality tale. Often people ask, oh, so are you ever going to write a book for adults? Like that's what makes you a real writer. Um, Like I'm just practicing in this teen pool. Hearing from a teenager who will email me and say like, oh, I never really liked reading for fun until I came across your book. That to me means way more than, you know, I don't know, being accepted in the quote unquote literary societies. I mean, ask me if I win a National Book Award someday and I'll be like, oh, no, no, that's better. (laughs) What I like is putting myself back in that mindset and feeling all of those, oh my God, this is the biggest, most important thing that will ever happen to me. Everything is new and I don't know what's going on and I could be anything or do anything and it all starts now. Lauren's story is more than a little autobiographical and relates to a moment of teenage humiliation that she still has some thoughts about. And the fact of the matter is, I let this idiot asshole <laughs> walk all over me and make me feel small and then didn't do anything about it. I think even in that moment back then, I knew all of those things. Like, what I should say to this guy is just tell him to fuck off. But, you know, also that was like, oh, he's kind of cute, and also I don't know if I'm strong enough to yell at this guy, and da 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 da. I want to tell every teenage girl, no, no teenage guys are worth it. None of them. I mean, wait for them to go off and figure it out, and then they'll be fine. But, like, they're abundant and low value. (laughs) This is Lauren Morrill with a story written exclusively for Songwriter. They'd had their first kiss, Caroline and Noah, leaning against the center console in his red Jeep. They'd been parked behind the old food city, which was across the street from the new food city, the only light a flickering security lamp meant to prevent exactly this. He tasted like sour cream and onion potato chips, which she didn't even like, but she didn't even care. It had not been her first kiss. That had happened in seventh grade, in the middle of a disaster movie that, in hindsight, felt thematically appropriate. That kiss had required the use of three movie theater napkins and six swipes of cherry chapstick afterward. This kiss, though, this was not that. This kiss was just the right amount of lips and tongue and a few little sighs, pauses to pull back and smile at each other in a way that didn't feel embarrassing or weird or like anyone was trying too hard. It was exactly what she'd imagined when he'd first asked her out. She'd imagined it a lot, which was hazardous, since reality rarely matched up. But this, this had been better. 
She was filled to bursting with excitement from the night, like someone had shaken up a can of Mountain Dew and cracked it open in her chest. As she watched Noah's taillights disappear out of the circular drive down her street, she damn near danced a jig right there on her front porch. That is, until she saw mean old Mrs. Bell out on her porch, glaring from beneath her porch light, ready to report any nefarious behavior to Caroline's mother, hence the need for the abandoned grocery store parking lot. So instead, she unlocked the front door and creeped inside. They had church in the morning, so everyone was already asleep. Her mother had texted her and told her to be quiet getting home. So she tiptoed up the stairs, skipping the third one that squeaked, and down the hall past her brother's bedroom and her sister's. She shut herself into hers, caught sight of herself on the full-length mirror she'd mounted behind it, and grinned. She thought she might love him, but she wasn't sure. Was that what this feeling was, this electricity zipping from her split ends all the way down to her polished toes? If she didn't find something to do with that energy soon, she was afraid she might start yelling. So instead, she decided to skip. She skipped in a big circle around her bedroom, flailing her arms, because that felt right. If someone were to watch her on film, she'd say, Yup, that looks exactly how I feel. She waved her arms around like she was at a church revival, then headed towards her bathroom, waving them some more. And just as she crossed the threshold, she heard a crack. A split second later, she felt the pain, because it turned out, fleeing your hand into a metal doorknob hurt. A lot. The pain came hot on the back of her hand and radiated down her arm, and she hissed to keep from crying out. Caroline turned on the cold water and stuck her hand under it. She wasn't sure why, but it seemed, like most things, to be a good idea that didn't work out. She watched as the back of her hand turned an angry red and began to swell, so she flipped off the water and tiptoed out to the kitchen, pulling out one of the blue ice packs her mother kept on hand for first aid and also to keep the turkey sandwiches cold in her lunch bag. Finally, tired of dealing with her own idiocy and the pain of her swollen hand, she popped two ibuprofen and climbed into bed, trying to replay the kiss over and over and over until she fell asleep. She wasn't sure if it was the anti-inflammatories or the balm of the memory of the kiss, but it seemed like the pain subsided. The next morning, things were not good. Her hand was now the size of a boxing glove, and it hurt like a bitch. It had woken her up a full hour before she needed to be up for church, which was a sure sign that it was broken. She never missed a minute of sleep on those Sunday mornings, and the most praying she ever did was that her mother would sleep through her own alarm and they'd all get to skip. Mom, she said, walking into the master bedroom where her parents were still asleep. I think I broke my hand. Her mother bolted upright. You what? I hid it on the doorknob last night and it's really swollen. I think I broke it. We probably need to go to the doctor. Her mother looked at her then at the clock. You broke your hand on the doorknob. Caroline nodded. Can you wait till after church? She raised her hand so her mother could see. And she could, even without her glasses, because it now looked like there was a fleshy softball atop the back of her hand. Her mother gasped, then sighed. They visited the pediatrician, whose office walls were decorated with murals of circus animals and clowns, which made her feel too old and too young at the same time. Yep, he confirmed broken. The next morning, she arrived at school with a purple cast on her arm. She found Noah in the parking lot next to his Jeep. What happened to you, he asked. She told him the story, blushing a little, grinning shyly as she explained that she'd been skipping around because the night had been so great and accidentally flailed her hand into a doorknob. 
She waited for sympathy, or agreement that, yeah, the night had in fact been good. Maybe not bone-breakingly good, but good. Maybe he'd skip too, or stood in his driveway dancing around. He blinked at her, quiet for a beat, then, You broke your hand on a doorknob? Are you serious? That's so fucking stupid. His volume drew the attention of a nearby group of sophomores copying each other's homework in the bed of a pickup truck. I thought doorknobs were supposed to be hand-friendly. And then he started laughing, hard, pleased with the most feeble joke she'd ever heard. She felt like he'd reached in with a straw and sucked all the air out of her lungs. Yes, she wanted to say. I broke my hand on a doorknob because I was so happy about kissing you, you absolute fucking salad. She thought it was a cute story, one she imagined they might tell their kids someday. How she'd been so in love with their father, knew it from the first kiss, that in a fit of excitement and slapstick passion, she'd managed to cause herself bodily harm. That was true love, right? There was a parallel universe where she broke up with him, right then and there on the rapidly warming blacktop of the senior parking lot. That, Caroline, took the purple cast and smacked him right in his smug, stupid face with it, pain be damned. Somewhere in that alternate timeline, she used her unbroken hand to flip him off, then whirled around and headed off to AP English, leaving him to stew in his own idiocy until he either gathered his shit or became the kind of boy who trolled YouTube comment sections for fun. That, Caroline, was awesome. That was the Caroline she wanted to be. Should be. But she wasn't. Maybe it was enough just knowing that girl was out there, waiting for her to one day figure out how to hop timelines, how to bridge universes, how to be different, be better and cooler and stronger. Maybe after she graduated and went off to college. Maybe when she grew up and got a great job. Something would happen. Had to happen. Someday she'd be that girl. She was sure of it. But not today. Today, she rolled her eyes and laughed and said, I know, right? So dumb. And then she took his hand in hers, the one that wasn't broken, and together they walked into school. And now for the songs written in response. First up is Justin Cutway, who, at a house concert in Macon, Georgia, talked about how he found the process challenging. I usually think of myself as sort of trying to come up with new ways of saying something. So this was a different process where I was literally like looking at something and having something that's not my own and trying to make it new or mine or something, but several, several long nights, which was also <laughs> fun. Though. I mean, I haven't done that in a really long time. I was just night after night just writing and writing and crossing things out. I mean, it's been a long time since that, so that was equally fun. I mean, there's one thing I did a long time ago where I took 10 paintings and did this similar kind of thing, um, and that was also difficult. <laughs> like, was probably why I stopped doing it. <laughs> Here's Justin Cutway with the studio recording of his song, Hand for This. my hand a lovelier side a glimpse and a flash of future denied 
first thing you find out won't make you confess somewhere in the back of your mind there's a man a hand for this and a hand for that a swelling grows more for now Goodbye to a universe where we decide We'll get out of here in parallel timelines Soaring heights and bloody blows Not knowing when you'll let go Stay back, step or two How loosely can you undo The timeliness Of opportunity For wealth And grabbing for more Subtly We mistake the choice Holding on And the pace joyfully Moves along Hand for this and a hand for that The swelling grows more for now Goodbye to a universe we decide We'll get out of here on a parallel timeline That was Justin Cutway with his song, Hand for This. And now for a different musical take on the same story. Here's Vincent Muhammad talking about his initial reactions to the story at a house concert in Macon, Georgia. Um, so, I, a lot of kissing, you know what I'm saying, early on, you know what I mean? The main thing that I saw in the story was I liked the, um, the vivid use of just imagery. You know what I mean? Like you felt like you were there in it. Lil Wayne wrote a, a song about uh, every girl, and uh, he really wanted to kind of uh, have relations with every girl in the world. It just connected with what I do because I grew up like in a very spiritual household, but at the same time, I was in a lot of different circles, so secular and spiritual circles. So one thing that I ended up doing, I mean, I was in the Boy Scouts and all types of stuff, but I was raised in Fort Hill, you know what I mean, on the east side, and like, we would always remix everything. So when I when I think of love, when I think of intimacy, um, I also think of it in ways that it can be um, not necessarily all the way sexual, uh, all the time sexual. Uh, that's one level of it. But this is, uh, I wish I could tell every girl she's a queen. So I'm going to do this as a spoken word piece. 
I wish I could tell every girl in the world. I wish I could tell every girl in the world she's a queen. I could tell every girl in the world. I wish I could tell every girl she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. From my heart, I read this letter from my notebook. Because I just finished looking at your page on Facebook. See you trying out poses in different clothing styles, different hair colors, brothers going wild. In the picture with a smile that I remember so vividly, probably should have told you this, but I was too timid, see? And I didn't know how to say it, how you take it. No intentions of dating, just wanted to make a statement to let you know you seen that I appreciate your realness. Beautiful, original, yes, God is my witness. It hurts me when I see you change yourself for attention. Feeling maybe if you just knew how you affected Vincent, you'd know how you affect every man that you contact. And that's before the hair dye, tight clothes, and contacts. Girl, you could wear a paper bag and in my book, be a perfect 10 written in permanent pansy. I wish I could tell every girl in the world. If you feel it, you can snap. I can tell every girl in the world. She's a queen. I can tell every girl in the world. And you need to point out a nice young lady. Say, she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. I know you probably get tired of me and my two cents. But I only give it to you because your life is an investment. Worthy cause to keep these brothers out your draws, playing pimps, licking lips, and rubbing their jaws. Plotting on all of y'all, and many good sisters falling, cause he either talking good, looking good, or he balling. See, it's a shame brothers lame and won't treat you right. You on the top shelf, and he afraid of heights. Off and on like the lights, part-time lovers, they just want to hit them Super Smash brothers. Playing games like ring around the rosy, no ring around the finger, just let's get cozy. Be careful who you love, your trust make them earn it. And demand respect like Aretha, you deserve it. Your worth is far beyond the price of rare rocks and metals. So hold your standards in your head high and don't settle. I wish I could tell every girl in the world. I wish I could tell every girl in the world. She's a queen. I could tell every girl. You gotta point somebody out this time. Hold on. <laughs> she's a queen. Cause she's a queen. She's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And she's a queen too. And she's a queen. And all y'all queens too. That was Vincent Muhammad with his song, I Wish I Could Tell Every Girl in the World She's a Queen. Special thanks to Leela Regan Porter and her husband Tim for helping me put this show together and for hosting it in Macon. Lauren Morrill's upcoming book is It's Kind of a Cheesy Love Story, and it's available for pre-order now. The next episode of Songwriter will feature a story from Alison Galen and a song written in response by Colin McGrath. One last thing I need to say to my American listeners. Except within my songs, I tend not to speak directly about politics, as I've always wanted to invite everyone, whatever their convictions and priorities, into my work. But at this critical moment, I'm compelled to speak. You and I may agree or disagree about this or that policy, but our actual democracy, our freedom to elect our leaders and to assemble and to keep disagreeing with one another, is at stake in this election. Please support Democratic candidates up and down the ballot. Here's a few ways you can get involved, put together by my friend Vienna Tang. 
Suffrage Over Silence has pulled together detailed info on how to vote by mail in every state and D.C., as well as great ways to volunteer. That's suffrageoversilence.com forward slash volunteer. Vote Save America has great info as well on how to make sure your vote gets counted. That's votesaveamerica.com forward slash B dash A dash voter. And Swing Left and a coalition of groups are making it incredibly easy to volunteer through the last few weekends before Election Day. And note that voting by mail has already begun. That's thelastweekends.org. Thank you for whatever you can do. Songwriter is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, along with some other great podcasts. Make sure to check out americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast. And you can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pacemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Finally, thanks as always to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe.